0: Hello, Is Sister Bibushka here to tell you just what you're about to listen to, along with some exciting news. So, as well as being part of Utter Nonsense with the fabulous Alaska Lot, I have my own podcast called Bibushka's Big Queer Media Review, which, unsurprisingly, actually looks at queer media of a variety of types of media, and I review it. I know, simple, sweet, to the point, title gives you everything you need to know, right? So, I launched it back in 2022 and it did run for the year. However, 2023 happened, there was a bit of a hiccup. And so, what I'm doing is I'm relaunching the podcast so that I can continue on and I've found a headspace to properly give it the time and attention it deserves. For the month of January 2024, what we're doing is we're popping on four of the first episodes so that people can have a listen here on the utter Nonsense feed and hopefully. If you like it, you'll pop on over to whatever your preferred podcasting site is for listening to these things, and you'll then subscribe to Babushka's Big Queer Media Review. The plan is that for the first half of 2024, we're going to release all the old episodes that I had recorded, and those will be released once a week. And then going forward with the new episodes in the second half of 2024, it will switch to a bi-weekly release schedule, and as it says, it will be reviewing things from books, movies... Manga, anime, music, video games, if it's a type of media that people can consume and it's either queer-focused or created by a member of the Alphabet Mafia, I'm more than happy to review it. That's the news. I will now shut up and let you listen to one of the first four episodes of Bibushka's Big Queer Media Review. And hopefully, if you like it, you will go and subscribe. Have a good rest of the day, lovelies. Hello lovelies, it's time for another instalment of Babushka's Big Queer Media Review, the bi-weekly podcast where we review another piece of media that has a queer focus. This can either be with its main characters, storylines or themes, or it has been created by a member of the Alphabet Mafia, as we want to make sure we're supporting both queer arts, but also the queer artist I am your host, Sister Babushka, the drag non-extraordinaire from the Order of Perpetual Indulgence, And this week we're going to be reviewing Bent, a 1997 film that revolves around the persecution of homosexuals in Nazi Germany after the Night of the Long Knives, which was a purging of Nazi leaders carried out by Hitler. As we're still in LGBTQ history month in the UK, I thought it was only fair to have another historic look at queer people through media, but this time choosing something that was a little closer to our time than Ancient Greece. Now, as always, our discussion will begin with a brief summary of the film, followed by spoiler-free thoughts and feelings about the film, This will then be followed by an in-depth discussion of some of the key plot points that occurred and we will then finish off with my overall rating of the film and a heads up about what we're going to look at next time. If you have not had a chance to watch Bent and don't want to hear any spoilers then please feel free to skip the detailed section and listen to it afterwards if you so wish. The spoiler section will be from 8 minutes 45 seconds to 19 minutes and 55 seconds. With all that said, let's get into it. The synopsis for this film, as it appears on the IMPD website, is as follows. Max is gay and as such is sent to Dachau concentration camp under the Nazi regime. He tries to deny he is gay and gets a yellow label, the one for Jews, instead of pink, the one for gays. In camp, he falls in love with fellow prisoner Horst, who wears his pink label with pride. It was released in 1997 and is actually based on a play of the same name by Martin Sherman. Overall, I think it is more than fair to say that this is a tough watch. Uh, Not because the film is bad or anything like that but rather because it is a very brutal look into a historical event and it's something you know happened. So right off the bat, I do have a few trigger warnings for people about to jump into this film. Uh, It contains graphic murder, violence and torture, also homophobia, anti-semitism, suicide, underage sex and even rape. So if any of those are not for you or you're not in a safe place to deal with those just now then please don't feel you have to see this film I want to make sure you're safe and in the right mindset before you jump into it so just so that you're aware so about the film itself I think the actors involved really do sell the story and they deliver great performances of the people they're portraying with the key people portrayed by Clive Owen, Lothar Blue and Brian Weber. You then also have some very familiar names such as Jude Law, Rupert Graves and Ian McKellen also making appearances. So clocking in at an hour and 44 minutes the film is a very bleak representation of queer life under Nazi rule in Germany. Although there may be some light moments of reprieve to let the audiences breathe, it definitely isn't afraid to shy away from a realistic portrait of what many queer people face during that time and the film also allows us to see the effects their traumatic experiences have on them and some of the coping mechanisms that they will develop as well from people in denial and saying that what's happening isn't real up to developing internal homophobia or even self-hatred for actions that they've maybe taken to ensure they survive all the way up to even becoming more callous themselves as they become desensitised to pain in certain ways. At some point there is mention that some of the prisoners going to De were found and caught as queer people because they had signed a petition for making homosexuality legal and that that list of people was actually acquired by the Nazis in the end. I think That is something that's always a present concern for many activists in many places. And it just acts as a stark reminder as to why data protection within Europe has been so key as we've moved into the digital age, but also why many activists, including sisters, will choose to keep their personal lives and their activist lives separate for their own protection or even for their own family's protection. So I think it's really interesting that that is a throwaway line, but it's still mentioned within the film. In terms of representation, the film gives a realistic glimpse into the horrors of what homosexuals would have dealt with during the Nazi regime in Europe. It shows how people would have to adapt, either by choice uh, for their own survival, by forsaking one's previous life, by completely reinventing their public image and their public selves, or by changing unconsciously. As a way to deal with the trauma of being tortured and subject to a daily hostile environment in the concentration camps as well as just in general life, that can have a real detrimental effect on people having to constantly be anxious about every action they're taking the people themselves all portray realistic versions of gay people with many different facets of who gay men can represent as. From the repressed male who is married to a wife for public appearances, to the openly flamboyant dancer who doesn't care about the politics of what's going on, uh, to the older gentleman with a queer air about him but nothing is ever said in public. And all the way up to the the straight acting guy who wants to keep under the radar as much as possible. So again, seeing that even within this one film, you get many different facets of what it is to present as a gay man under certain situations. The ending itself is a real tearjerker which really shows both the strong bond we build with the characters over the course of the film with the great acting and the great writing but along with the reality that the entire film is something we know most probably happened to thousands of people throughout the 1930s and 40s. And although I won't mention any spoilers just yet of what happens one of the best quotes comes around near the ending as well which is I love you What's wrong with that? Since it really just, to me, that sums up the absurdity of homophobia and people being treated so abhorrently just because of who they happen to fall in love with. And then just to finish up this spoiler-free section, um, I do want to say that the song Streets of Berlin by Mick Jagger fits so well with the film and it's really interesting to see the two different ways that that song resonates with the viewer after when you're hearing it during the credits compared to when we hear it at the start of the film and so it's really interesting how the same song has such a different tone to it after everything that we witness in the film so i think it's fair to say that you should consider this the warning to bring tissues um, if you are going to sit and watch this film now Just a reminder, at this point, I will be going into a more detailed analysis of the film, which means there will be spoilers. If you haven't managed to watch Bent yet and you don't want anything spoiled, then this is your last chance to skip ahead past the discussion or go ahead and put me on pause, go watch the film and then come back afterwards to listen to me. I promise I won't mind. Still here? Well then, don't say I didn't warn you. The film opens in a very interesting way with the large party happening in the ruins of an old building and people being very free and open in what they're up to. You know, it's not every film that opens up with a cabaret and an orgy, after all. But during this, we do get the intercut scenes of the start to the morning after between some of the characters, as well as a suspicious character walking about the cabaret and a devious-looking meeting taking place as well in the shadows. But our key focus for the start of the film is on the hedonism our underground culture is embracing during the night before it does all start to come crashing down. I mean, we don't have long to wait before the appearance of stormtroopers coming to the building in the morning. And we know that this idyllic morning after banter is about to be shattered as the Nazis are suddenly banging at the door. It's a quick turn of events when 15 minutes into the film, you're into Nazi officers having their throat cut open by former peers, pushing your t- two of your key characters to suddenly be on the run already. We can see the burning of the cabaret clothing acting as a casting off of the old lives they had, as they now have to learn to adapt within the new hostile climate that they're going to be faced with. And so it's also during that conversation as a metaphorically casting off their old lives that we find out their friend who they ran to, is basically confirming he sold everyone out at that party to ensure he can have his new life and he can continue to survive within Nazi Germany. And I think it's really difficult to know how to sit with that, at least for me. On the one hand, he is very arrogant, he's flippant and he's so smug, about the actions and what, you know, not caring about the repercussions that it's had on other people because he is safe. So, in a sense, it is easy to find him as a bad person and an Nazi enabler who should be hated. But on the other hand, you have to consider the difficult position that people are going to be put in to ensure they could survive when they're facing the battle of a gun aimed at them for their sexuality and that needing to potentially put oneself first at the expense of others, which is something that we do see later on with Max who has to deal with it not once, but twice as well. And I think it just helps to show that it's really hard to categorize some actions as purely good or purely bad. And it really shows that there is a lot of gray to how life is In the end I do fall on the side of hating their friend for selling them all out but I think it does give it that more nuanced perspective of there are reasons behind why he's done it even if he shouldn't be acting so cavalier about it. We then also see what many people and not just homosexuals but large parts of society would have been forced to do at that time in terms of begging friends for help to get out of the country seeking ways to make deals to cross borders as well as even hiding in the woods or other places to try and avoid being found out and sent away, which sadly does end up being the case for Max and Rudy. Although we know Max may have actually managed to escape if he had taken other people's advice about ditching Rudy, I think it is commendable that he chooses to stay as he does care for his friend and he can't just leave him defend for himself with the Nazis about The behaviour of the Nazis themselves is vile. No shockers there, I'm sure. From hunting down and killing homosexuals and also forcing Rudy to break his own glasses before taking him to be tortured on the train. To even the running of the concentration camps themselves and assigning tasks such as moving rocks or snow from one spot to another just to drive people mad we really do get a glimpse into just some of the many atrocities that were being carried out on people, which is is quite harrowing. As mentioned earlier, they also do set up these twisted situations where Max is put in the unenviable situation of having to carry out acts that harm other people to ensure his own survival. This is seen in The Train, where he not only has to pretend he doesn't know Rudy after he's been severely beaten and bleeding but then also has to help beat him with the truncheon and just watch him lay there in the cart with everyone suffering until eventually the Nazis come and just throw him out of the moving train. And then one of the most horrific things that the Nazis set up here in this film is the convincing of Max to sleep with this 10-year-old girl on the train by claiming that she's 13 and that he'll be given a Star of David badge for doing that instead of getting a pink triangle so that he can basically have a little bit better of a standard of living compared to the homosexuals when he gets to the concentration camp and it's just it's so surreal to imagine people being vile enough to treat other people like this and then to laugh about it and make it a game and then carry on as if nothing is wrong and I know that we do know there are people that can be that cruel and evil in life but every time you're confronted with it it just baffles the mind that people can do that to their fellow human being. During the film we do get to see the friendship and an eventual romance developing between Max and Horst when they're at the concentration camp. You know from Max bribing guards to bring Horst onto rock duty with him and how at first they won't speak or they bicker and then over time we see that they eventually start chatting and gossiping about whatever they can as they're doing their duties. And then again, it all comes to a a sort of head one break time where they start telling each other that they think the other is sexy and that they then get into some very graphic um, sexy oral time where they describe what they're going to do to each other while still having to remain standing, facing one particular way. And as they say, they they find out how to carry out an act of defiance towards the Nazis by coming to orgasm just through telling each other what they will do to each other. And you really do root for them to find a way to reject Nazi brutality in whatever way they can. We sadly also see the effects of prolonged torture and captivity and how that slowly changes Max over time. During the winter, while Horst is freezing and they're stuck standing on their break again, Max tries to initiate oral sex to keep Horst warm and his mind off his declining health. But he not only pushes Horst into it when he is reluctant, and so not respecting his partner's feelings and boundaries, but he then gets very rough in his details, which actually upsets Horst and ruins the experience for them. It really shows how the cruelty of the Nazis has actually started to bleed into other people over time, as they become familiar with that cruelty on a day to day basis, with Max even being compared to the Gestapo and his desire to hurt Horst, and that people have started hurting each other and calling that love. The self hatred we see is also hard to watch, as we believe at some point Max would never have said queers weren't meant to love and that he would have respected his partner's boundaries. But again, this trauma that we witness him being subjected to every day, it wears away at who he is until he forgets how to even be gentle. He even spends a film rejecting the fact that he isn't a Jew and should have a pink triangle, because he knows how he would be treated then, and he just wants to survive and avoid that further pain that it would bring to have that pink triangle. And it's just... Yeah, it's hard imagining how many people were, and even in this day and age, are subjected to hatred for just being themselves, that it turns them into a more callous version of who they really are. And thankfully we do see Max take Horst's words to heart, and he does try to be gentle and even lies about having a cough to make sure he can get medicine for Horst. But again, you wonder how many people now and currently... Becoming more callous because of this hatred and and are there ways that they can counteract this or is this something that will that won't be challenged in them? You know, and they will continue to be callous towards others. As soon as the two Nazis show up and you're watching them from above asking questions, you just feel this tension in the air, and you know this possibly can't end well. You can you can tell you're in the final the end act almost. And it's that sense of dread that just deepens when they start asking about the cough that they hear from Horst and how Max is feeling after he got that medicine. And you know that once they're asked to go for a walk, nothing good's going to follow. But what we do see with Horst's final moments is another act of defiance as he chooses the way in which he will be killed rather than just following Nazi orders to the end. And so... He gets that final choice and that final fuck you to his oppressors as he chooses, I'm going to run at you rather than you have me die on this fence. I did find it heartbreaking to watch the final moments of the film while Max has to dispose of his lover's body and the alarm goes off while he's carrying him. So he has three minutes standing there of just holding his Ted lover, you know, his only connection to who he used to be and has to continue talking to him for those three minutes, reaffirming that he won't drop him and rambling about things from his past and how he might have loved Rudy and how he won't drop him, he won't drop him, he won't drop him. And then at the very end, when he is moving those rocks to cover Horst's body and getting to see him make that choice to finally embrace his authentic self by removing his own top, which has the Star of David sewed into it, and instead wearing Horst's top with the pink triangle. It feels really empowering for that character at that time. It just feels really powerful that just as he is about to electrocute himself on the fence and choose how he is going to die instead of waiting for the Nazis to choose, he is also choosing to be recognised as who he is and who he identifies as as a final act of defiance in the face of a political movement determined to crush him and anyone like him. (sighs) Well, now that we've talked a lot about this film I suppose it's time to let you know how I would rate this and whether I would pass you my copy of it to have a look over. The film is well acted and has a really touching story to share And so even though it can be a bit of a brutal watch and you need to be in the mind space for it, I would easily give this 10 out of 10 pink triangles. (laughs) My only fault with the film is that it made me cry (laughs) and ruin my makeup. But it shows it really does portray its story across so effectively that even a cold and hardened babushka like myself would tear up and blub at the end of this film. In terms of recommending it to you, i think it is something that everyone should look at if they're in a place to deal with the various topics i gave a warning about earlier it is so important to remember that in the recent past there was this horrific treatment of queer people which in some places of the world is still continuing in various ways and that this acts as a reminder for those rights that we fought hard for and why it's important to continue fighting for equality for all of our lgbtq plus siblings everywhere so I, I feel it is one of those essential films um, to watch while growing up. And thus, we've now completed our second entry into Bushka's Big Queer Media Review. Ta-da! We did the thing, even if the thing has been much heavier than the first time we have done the thing. If you've enjoyed this episode, or the podcast overall... It would really help with the algorithm if you could leave us a review on wherever you're listening to your podcasts, as well as sharing this with all those you think would enjoy the show. Or if you're feeling generous, you can donate to the Co-Fire to help keep the lights running on all the House of Nonsense projects we get up to. Next time we're going to be reviewing You Brought Me the Ocean, a DC comic that reintroduces Aqualad as an openly gay teenager. So do check that out ahead of time if you can't wait for my review. And if you have any suggestions for queer media creators you would like to hear reviewed, you can always contact me through the website, houseofnonsense.org. All the links for the Ko-Fi and website are also in the show notes. With all that said, I just want to say thank you for joining me this week on Babishka's Big Queer Media Review, and I hope you all have a great day. I will speak to you soon, lovelies. so